very vivid memories of two beating it many, many times. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. So long in the tooth, this franchise should be put down as we became a parody of ourselves long ago. I am Josh Hadley. With me as always, well, he's back, now is the Peter. Yes, but for how long remains to be seen. Does it? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I just, I like the way my voice sounds in the morning, so I try to say dramatic things as often as possible. And Cecil is at a child's birthday party, and that came out creepier than I intended. He is taking his son to a birthday party, so Cecil is not here this week. I did not mean it to come out creepy like that. (laughs) (laughs) But you can hear Fred is filling in for him. Yes, the son, the sequel to the son of Fred. If you guys do want to get creepy or get freaky, you go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping, just for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. So tonight, I wanted to talk a little bit about film franchises and when they should stop. Not necessarily, you know, they stopped making money with the whole Carn- Roger Corman Carnosaur thing, where keep the budget the same and each one earns a little less than until, like, part four of Carnosaur earned the just earned its budget back. So you stop. I'm talking about, like, at what point does a franchise sort of betray itself, betray its fans, or is just so untenable you just go, stop, it's already dead. What would be a point where you think a franchise should just stop? My girlfriend and I, she she wanted to watch, for some reason, we watched the, the first two Hellraiser movies a couple of months ago. They were on Which Hulu. are both great. Right. They were both on Hulu. And I had the DVD. I've got a DVD set of all the the Miramax Dimension ones. And so we watched Why part three. Fuck? Why? Because it was like a dollar. It was like a dollar. Don't judge me. But burn it. Burn it. Especially the fucking one where he goes to space. Part three is so bad that it was shocking. And then I, I'm, I, I had forgotten about this part. Doesn't that one have the one with the Cenobite that shoots like fucking DVDRs out of its head? CDs. With the drink mixer grenades and the camera and in its head. that's better than Jackhammer head. But what I'm talking about is, okay, whether you liked that movie or not, and I hated it. I thought it was, it was childishly bad. The third one? Yes. I had forgotten until we got to the credits, and I'm like, oh my god, I forgot Motorhead did the song for this. And then I went and looked up the video, and there's Pinhead (laughs) dancing with Lemmy in the music video, and I'm going, oh my god, just stop i mean isn't it amazing isn't it when you get to that point should have been it should have just been motorhead joining the cenobites that that is a regular thing like remember when the fat boys rapped with freddy or or what or when freddy did a bump of coke off his glove with dawkin things like that you go at what point especially and this is not just a horror thing but especially with a horror franchise do you think when you've got the music video tie-in and you've got dolls remember those freddy dolls on the shelf and nintendo games and all that do you think you've sort of betrayed your roots a little bit from the early films 
Not necessarily, because then we'd be saying that Jason lives as a betrayal, which it isn't. That's a great movie in the Friday the 13th franchise. I'd say it's a betrayal when you start going so far from your roots that your movie becomes, like, self-aware to the point where it's within a movie of a movie, like Wes Craven's New Nightmare, or when you have Jason start to become a body-hopping demon that's somehow tied in with Evil Dead, like with Jason Goes to Hell, or when you send pinhead to space like I, I think these are betrayals of franchises when you're so tapped for ideas that initially made these characters work and you have to take them so far outside their comfort zones that they become a fucking joke i think that's when you betray it when you've said all you can with the story and to me a current example is star trek discovery star trek is an even better example than horror because you know we could say what we want about all these franchises and making dolls and rap records and all this stuff but the truth of the matter is is if you compare it to like long running television series mash the simpsons gunsmoke any number of series that won't die i mean how do how does something like hellraiser or freddy compare to those and it's like it it's just a glimmer in the eye in comparison when you really think about it hellraiser is a great comparison because honestly after two it did run out of steam there there's only so many ways you can say something there's only so many ways you can do something and star trek had taken how many different routes to talking about going to faraway galaxies you know where, where they say where where no one has ever gone before because you can't say no man anymore. and so when they come to like they came to the uh that point after what was it after voyager i believe they were like what do we do now oh let's do a prequel and right there is when you start to go uh-oh uh-oh are you you know if you can't keep moving forward and you have to start looking backwards that's kind of a good warning sign right there because then right after uh enterprise the next thing was the jj abrams reboots mm -hmm. and now we're going to turn star trek into an action series right there you've got a one-two punch telling you this is done yeah this is done you've did a prequel now you're doing remakes and you've turned what was you know a little bit more science fictiony storytelling little little more heady i'm not saying it's brilliant a little more heady than your average science fiction into action schlock i think the writings on the wall and those type of things can you can apply that to anything like what Pizarro said about Hellraiser in space. When Pinhead has to go to space to tell your story, something's wrong. Something you you you've you've lost your way. You know you're off the cannon. So I'd say those are good signs. So if I'm understanding you right, basically when you get to the point of desperation, like would you say that? Having Jason fight Carrie for all intents and purposes, was that a desperation move or do they really think, yes, adding psychic powers to this will really deepen the mythology? Uh, we don't know what to do for the next movie. Well, Just kind of was psychic girl. Because yes. that was originally meant to be Freddy versus Jason and then they were like, oh shit. Well, we don't have Freddy anymore. What the hell can we do? So they kind of had to do a hodgepodge and be like, okay, well, what if we, we need somebody that has powers to fight Jason? What if it was kind of like a Carrie thing? Well, we can't really use Carrie. What if we made up a character 
that had carry like powers and still did the movie we were going to do. So I think with part seven, it was kind of a lot of, cause I, I like part seven. I know Cecil likes part seven. I know a lot of the fans of the franchise like that movie. So I think most people consider part seven to be, you know, a happy accident. And, you know, Carl Beekler's design of, of Jason, I think is iconic enough. Um, along with Kane Hodder's performance is iconic enough to keep that movie kind of in, in the center stage that it is in the franchise. But really in reality, it was kind of just a series of, of screw ups in the studios and New Line not wanting to, to uh, cooperate with Paramount and the other way around. So they were kind of forced to be desperate and create something else out of what they were originally going to do. So I, I would say part seven was was a desperate attempt and, and kind of an, and kind of an odd way. Well, then what about when a franchise just decides we don't want to be what we were like the Child's Play franchise, which now most people call the Chucky franchise? You know, the first three movies, I'm not a big fan of them, but the first three movies are horror films. They have jokes in them, they have humor in them, but they are horror films. After that, somebody decided, nah, these are comedies now. Everyone that's come out since part three is a comedy before it's a horror film. What, what, what happened is, is it just because Chucky became part of pop culture that they're like, no, 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 people like the humor Chucky more than the horror. Scary. I think, I think it's honestly just because they realized Chucky wasn't scary at all. But at least the first three movies were trying to be horror films. The, all the other ones, Bride of Chucky, Seed of Chucky, The Cult of Chucky, all this stuff, they're just straight comedies. I'm sorry. I can't stand those. I didn't like no, the Child's not. Play they're, movies. They're terrible. I can't stand the Chucky movies, but they are more popular than the Child's Play movies, so apparently I'm wrong. No, the I much prefer the first three, where they were at least unironically trying to be kind of scary, even if Chucky as a character isn't scary in the least. I, I, I always prefer it when a movie uh, takes itself more seriously than not, because you know then you, you notice the effort that's going into it, whereas the, the later films where they, they just knew it was a joke, it's it's hard to watch. Well, for my point, let, let's... Because what we're talking about now, I believe, is is reimagining. And I think I've got a better example than Chucky for this. The Terminator films, I think most people agree that after the second Terminator film, it was over. Should have stopped. They're just... They're, yeah, there was nowhere else to go. However, however, then come along comes along the Sarah Connor Chronic, which actually had what if we talked more about people about human beings and how skynet could come to be how gullible people are how easily fooled we are that's a lot of the themes that kept coming up on the sarah connor chronicles we see something that looks human we think of it as human and that's how we get fooled it's almost like saying what if terminator 2 was one big dupe in a weird sort Mm. of way because the boy and the machine bond well Mm. what if the machine that was a dupe what if it was a con that's what's interesting about the sarah connor chronicles it looked at it from a very different angle it's not terminator in other Mm. words it's not terminator 1 it's not terminator 2 it's looking at this concept of how ai would take over and how we would allow it to and it opened it up to this world that was more akin to weekly science fiction you know a little bit more star trek slash twilight zone therefore it's a reimagining and that allows it a much bigger palette and guess what nobody liked it i loved it nobody 
watch it. Well, we, yes, there are people that like it. I'm a fan. You're a fan. There's, there were fans, but it didn't get the ratings because it wasn't Terminator. And that's what I think you're kind of weirdly looking at with Chucky in a weird, but in reverse. Child's Play started, came a franchise, and after three, yeah, what are you going to do? Have him chasing this little boy, Andy, for the rest of his life? <laughs> you know, they, they, they knew they were screwed. You know, they're like, oh, <laughs> exactly. we tied Chucky to Andy. What are we going to do? After that, what else could you do? You reimagine Chucky. You you spin it on its ear. Everybody's starting to giggle at the idea of a serial killer doll. And, it, you know, it's a different era. It's a different time. Of course, we've gone through the Scream era by this point. It was a reimagining. It was looking at Chucky through a different lens. And it enabled it to survive much in the same way James Bond did. You know, James Bond did a black exploitation. James Bond went to outer space, too. And not in a very glorious fashion, I might add. Why James it kind Bond of worked because it was James changed. Bond. I mean, James Bond kind of is, like, bombastic. Right. Well, I'm just talking about how they survive. And I think mm. Chucky did that, too. I think Chucky just found a way to survive. And guess what? It went back to his horror roots again. I don't remember the name of it, but it's the one with uh, Brad Dorff's daughter in the wheelchair. I think that's Is it the newest one? No, that's Cult. I think it's Curse mm. of Chucky. Okay. And so it's Curse of Chucky, Cult of Chucky. And so they've gone back to the horror roots. They've thrown away the, the sort of self-reverential. So it's reinvented again. It's gone back to its horror roots, you know, with its tongue and its cheek, but it's more serious again. So I think it's just gone that route. It's gone the route that allowed it to survive. Isn't that a problem when you have these franchises, though? When you've constantly got reboots and remakes, and this sequel doesn't count, but this sequel does, and then the next sequel says, well, both of those sequels don't count. Like, say, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise, where two Are is a any of those sequels canonically linked to the first one? Two is a direct sequel to one, and then three ignores two, and then four ignores two and three, and then you've got the remakes which ignore all of them, and then you've got 3D, which ignores all but the first one, then you've got Leatherface, which is a prequel to the first one, but it's more of a prequel to the remake, and you're going, oh my god, f***ing kill me! At this point, just stop, because they're making another reboot of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It was recently oh, announced they're rebooting it again, just like with Halloween. Leaving three out, because that never really counted, you've got four, which is a direct sequel to one and two, and then five and six, which are direct sequels to four, and then H2O says, no, all of those don't count and then resurrection says oh well some of those count and then the new one says none of those count and you just go stop just it like stop h2o was um h2o canonically linked one and two didn't it I'm not even sure. They never even referenced two. I think two, it is. So. I think it's it, basically the uh, Halloween movies at this yeah. point are a choose-your-own-adventure book. More or less. It, it goes. It goes Halloween two, four, five, six, and then it goes Halloween two, Halloween one, two, H two O Resurrection, and then it goes Halloween, Halloween 2018, and then it goes just Halloween three, and then it goes just the Rob Zombie Halloweens. Like there's all weird different spiderweb directions that you can go in that series. My point is, at that point as a franchise, you're a cluster f Just stop. Because... Although I, I will admit, I really enjoyed the new Halloween. I liked it a lot. I hated it. If anyone saw my review, I hated it. We're not going to debate the merits of that. But just the fact oh, that no, that, no. that no one point. decided it's yet another sort of soft reboot, all of the sequels don't count, your continuity is a total nightmare. It kind of is and it kind of isn't. Like, they still paid respects to Mustafa Okad in the ending credits and stuff. So they're, they're still acknowledging that those movies exist. And they did make reference to, to a lot of them. Like, they were little 
little little references sprinkled in here and there. Like clearly the, the people working on the films are, are fans of Halloween overall. And I don't necessarily think it's trying to ignore the existence of any of the, any of the other movies. This was just kind of a, a what if. And I do, I do agree that the, the Halloween movies fell off their kilter a long time ago though. Like for me, that series lost its mark by five. I enjoyed four. I really enjoy one, two, Halloween three, which isn't tied to Michael Myers and four. Those to me are the definitive Halloween films. Once it hit five, it was shit. Michael Myers is scary because you don't know why he is what he is. You don't know why he's immortal. You don't know why he wants to kill his family. And with five, they introduced a cult thing. He's being run by the thorn and that's I feel like that's what ruined it, that he's like this puppet by some secret organization. It was the same reason why Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation, or or 4 technically, was garbage, is they tried to link the Sawyer family to, to the Illuminati, which is ridiculous. Well, I think the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants was actually the worst Halloween film. Um, <laughs> I would disagree with but, you, my friend. Uh, it, it's a clear example of that elasticity of storytelling that I've said, what, a thousand times now? <laughs> You, you can only take certain things so far. It's a guy in a mask killing people. There's just only so much. I mean, Jason, probably what's kept him going is he's more based on something a little more primal, a little bit more yeah. legendy, uh, campfire tales, whereas Michael was never allowed to be something bigger. So you get into that. I like to reference the when Spider-Man went into what was called the Clone Saga, which mm. is like when Spider-Man just like finally the wheels flew off. You know, what do you do? What do you do? You can't keep Peter a kid forever. You know, Spider-Man, by its very nature, was a limited story, if you think about it, because they gave him an early arc. Great power comes great responsibility. He was a young man. He had to deal with things. And, like, after time, how long can you just keep telling the same story? Older then, like, how long could he keep dating the same girl? They got married. That's when things started to fall apart. The story should have ended at some point, concluded naturally, but it didn't, and because of that, now you've got clones of Peter Parker! Now you've got the, the Spider-Verse, you've got yeah, Madam Web, and, like, all this weird shit. And it's like, that's exactly pure example of that elasticity. It ran out, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, it, with a, there's something to be said about people with good imaginations. If you take your time, you can come up with some things that are different. You can do things no one expects. I, I was always surprised they never took the whole, the Sawyer family made chili like they did in part two. They brought up him willing the chili contest. I was always surprised they didn't do more with the whole food thing. And yeah, all that was honestly, fantastic. Yeah, it, it, but there you go. They didn't. Now you've got the Illuminati or you got the Thorn Cult. It's because you can only do so much. That's it. That's the simple answer. This doesn't happen as much anymore, but it used to more often. When when you've got, you know, First Blood comes out, Rambo is this big jockeying. He's not even really a hero. He's he, he's more of a put-upon man. You've got Rambo 2, first, Rambo First Blood Part 2, which is not bad. And then... He's still kind of a put-upon man right. in that one, too. And then you... Like, they, they drag him out of prison to force him to do another mission kind of thing. I, I still like 2 a lot. 2 it's is dumb, three. but it's fun. But I'm talking about when, like, Rambo be 
became a cartoon character, a literal cartoon character, when Chuck Norris <laughs> was the karate commando as it sort of took away the gravitas of him blowing people, uh, blowing Richard Lynch up with a rocket launcher at point blank range when he's in a cartoon. Robocop. Was there ever any gravitas to Chuck Norris? Kind of. If you grew up in the 80s, sort Can of. you say that with, without any irony? I mean, Chuck You're Norris. You're too young. You don't, Fred, come on. Chuck Norris in the 80s was legit cool, right? A lot of the Chuck Norris shit, and I watched a lot of them when I was a kid. Even as a six-year-old child, I was like, this guy's kind of hokey. But with Stallone, with Arnold, I was like, yeah, I could take these guys seriously. Even like Bruce, even like Bruce Lee, and even like Bruce Willis, even Jackie Chan, I was like, these guys are serious motherfuckers. Whereas Chuck Norris, I always saw as a cartoon character. But I mean, when he, honestly, I mean, look at Invasion USA might as well have been called Chuck Norris and his super truck. Well, but see, you're citing the later Chuck Norris, though. You're not citing the early Chuck Norris. Uh, Okay, well, what's early? Octagon? Chuck Norris fights ninjas. Well, if you let me finish, Batar, (laughs) maybe. I think Batar fears the answer. He fears the Chuck. Yeah, let's be honest. Batar's not completely wrong in that uh, there was always more of a wink in the Chuck Norris movies, especially even if you go early. Remember Breaker Breaker? That is (laughs) not a serious movie. Well, if if you start off very early, like a force of one, that was that was a more serious one. You know, he came up in the eighties mostly. That's where mm. Chuck Norris found his 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 grounding. And I think that he never had that movie. And that's what I think Patar is kind of referencing without realizing that with Stallone, he got Rocky. You know, we don't look at his before Rocky. We don't, you know, mock him for his soft porn or his death race. We know he did Rocky. And then he had a one-two punch by having First Blood, which is a great freaking movie. Personally, I kind of wish it would have ended there myself. That gave him a, a, a seriousness. It gave him a grounding. And as he went into the, the weird zone of the 80s, he always had had that base and chuck never really had that base he had movies i loved i love a force of one i i love an eye for an eye and then my personal favorite will always be lone mcquade where he fights david carradine it was a different era and chuck didn't have the grounding in fact oddly enough i think lone mcquade became his grounding because that became the very loose basis of walker texas ranger so that was the film that kind of gave him an identity whereas stallone had those two films come on schwarzenegger had turned Terminator, we know that. And, and Conan, yeah. Those, yeah, and Conan. And those, having those early films that give you that base are so required. That's why mm-hmm. we look at other films, like, that's why you said, why didn't Lance Henriksen ever take off? And he was in Terminator, because he never had that starring role that gave him that base. And if you look yeah. at any big actor, come on, if I say Bruce Willis, name me the big movie that made Bruce Willis. Come on, who, who can't figure it out? Hudson Hawk? <laughs> exactly. It was Hudson Blind Hawk. date. Yeah, it was die, it was die hard. Obviously, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was die hard. That's what Chuck was missing. And if he had had that, he would have had a huge career, bigger than he had. But you know what? When we were growing up, he was pretty cool, I gotta say. I'd say right up until the Chuck Norris and the Karate Commandos. And that's when it all kind of went to shit. Well, I, I, I absolutely agree that he was always been considered cool, but I've always just seen him as like more of the, the camp, campy B to even like C grade action guy 
like not necessarily the serious one. Well, okay. Do you think that pop culture plays a, a big factor in this sort of thing? You'll notice Chuck Norris or RoboCop or something. These movies are made seriously or, or to a serious degree. And then something latches onto pop culture. I'm not talking about looking back nostalgic pop culture like today where Chuck Norris is on t-shirts everywhere with the American flag. I mean, at the time, mm-hmm. there was something that touched people that thrust him into pop culture. RoboCop was made as an indictment of all the things it literally became in the later sequels and the TV series and cartoons and merchandising. Is pop culture the problem and not the franchises themselves? I mean, obviously one feeds the other. If RoboCop had just been a popular movie that made a lot of money, but RoboCop himself had not somehow touched the zeitgeist of pop culture, do you think that would have shaped how different RoboCop 2, 3, Prime Directives, TV show, cartoon, and all that would have become, or would they have become anything? It's inescapable. It's, it's absolutely, once the 80s hit, it was inescapable. I mean, if you, if anybody's seen like the toys that made us that's on Netflix, uh, I think it gives you a slightly clearer view of, of how this all played out. You know, it, it, Star Wars changed the game completely. If, when they talk about Star Wars changing everything, I don't think it's in terms of movies. I do think it's in terms of merchandising. You see like, oh, we've got this toy. How can we turn this toy into a profitable thing? They, they started doing Oh, let's, let's include a comic book with a backstory. He-Man. Now we've got He-Man. They got these transforming toys from Japan and they're like, well, what the heck are these? What's their story? What's going on? You know, Transformers. So then that just turned into, well, Star Wars was this big movie. What if we started taking other properties and, and, and forcing them into this mold? And that's what ended up happening is that the, the merchandising to children became this big juggernaut that that's all they were thinking about. That, come on, we had R-rated properties becoming toys. Rambo, Toxic Avenger, which was X-rated, RoboCop, the Chuck Norris, all the Chuck Norris movies except for I think like one or two were PG back then. They were turning these into toys. Ghostbusters was changed because Slimer was popular among children. Back in the days of Batman, you've got to have a Robin because it appeals to children. And that was back all the way in the freaking 50s. It's always been there. It's never gone away. Although I think that market has changed today. And weirdly enough, they don't see it. That's why when you go to stores and you see nothing but landfill on the shelves, you know, Star Wars toys start off at $100 and then the next week they're in clearance in the middle of the aisles blocking everything is because now it's changed and the kids play video games. Toys were the way we relive the movies. They don't need that anymore. They can watch the movie on their their Blu-ray player and they can play a video game being in that world. So now you see the push in video games instead of toys. It's always been there and since that, that became a part of it, it will always affect it. Fred, when I was growing up, I, I, I know I was nine years old at the time. I remember buying the David Lynch's Dune action figures because if there's any kid-friendly franchise, it's David Lynch's Dune, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you got your own spice. <laughs> The nature of the beast. This is what's been going on forever, even dating back to, as you said, giving Batman a Robin because, you know, kids want Robin. You know, they want to relate to somebody. The same thing with, you know, you got franchises like the Transformers and G.I. Joe and you've got He-Man. So when kids would see 
characters like RoboCop, which do have an eye candy, like an appeal to kids, like this cool metallic fight, uh, crime fighting robot, they're immediately going to go, kids are going to like this. Let's do a kid friendly version. Let's do a toy line. It, it's just something that's, that's bound to happen, or at least was bound to happen at that time. And they're obviously still trying to do it now. And the toys aren't working so much, but they definitely know that the video games are going to work. They definitely know that they're doing a Lego version of the character movie or video game is going to appeal to kids and, and other demographics. So it's still happening now, maybe in different ways, but it's still happening. What about when a, a franchise that was never meant to be a franchise is, it again, hits the pop culture zeitgeist for whatever reason, and they have to keep cranking these things out, like the Saw movies. Okay, they, they, mm. they needed to find a way, because somehow it was thought, the same way 20th Century Fox thought, we can't have an alien movie that doesn't have Ripley in it. We have to have Ripley. She's the anchor. She's the anchor. We have to have Ripley. We're not making one without Ripley. For the Saw movies, that was Tobin Bell. You have to have Tobin Bell in it. Um, But we killed him in part three. Well, find a way. Okay, we can have him in flashbacks, flashbacks, flashbacks. That con the continuity of that franchise is so f to prove how dumb the continuity is. I dare someone to go re-edit all of those movies in chronological order, and you see how ridiculously stupid all of these. Aha! But that was a plot twist, and the next movie will re will reveal that was a plot twist, and this movie will reveal this character was actually working for this character. I think the Saw movies are a victim of their own success, aren't they? I mean, I liked the first two, three-ish. I, I feel like there was potential there, but then once they started implementing all the there's hidden tapes of Jigsaw and he's been building traps for years and like all this ridiculous shit, Somehow the traps, even though these were ones he built before the first two films, they're somehow more advanced than the ones in the first two, which he made contemporarily. Like, really, really intricate it, it got ridiculous to points where it, it became more outlandish and over the top than even the, the likes of like the Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street or even like even like James Bond levels of, of bombastic. Like this was no longer a horror franchise. This was no longer not even gore movies or slasher films. Like this is just ridiculous. Like I, I feel like those movies lost their steam as soon as they started doing the oh but flashback. Oh but look a secret tape. Oh but look he's been building traps all along. Go f*** yourself. He was a cancer patient. When it comes to, like, continuity, you know, this one might not be for movies, but I don't know if either of you are fans of the Resident Evil video games. Leave the movies out because they're a totally different oh, I love the games. You know, the first video game was fine, and then the second one, and the third one, and I remember they had to put out, after the third one, they had to make a specific DVD that you would get with Code Veronica called The Wesker Files, put the continuity right, because the continuity was so f they were like, we need to fix this. And Wesker Files actually made it worse somehow. And you're like, what are you doing? Stop! Just make a zombie game. You don't need to have conspiracies within conspiracies with traitors and triple agents and stop! Well, the thing with Resident Evil, I mean, the first three games, in my opinion, I mean, that was a big part of my childhood, was playing the first three. I have very vivid memories of two, beating it many, many times. But just a very simple concept, and I know the um, the creator of the games, the influence for making, I think, the first one was, I want to make a better zombie idea than, I, I think he was taking shots at Fulci. He was like, I want to make a better, a better zombie property than zombie or something, which, to me, I find ironic. The Resident Evil games have 
become stupider than any, and I don't think, no, I, I've never thought Lucio Fulci's movies were stupid ever. I honestly think he's got a very, like his movies are very graphically violent, but he has an artistic quality to them. There's a subtlety, there's great music, so it's completely arrogant to be like, I'm gonna make something better than this. Yeah, no, you won't. Your, your franchise is gonna get ridiculous, and it did with all the Wesker Files bullshit and all this stuff. He was on the right track with one through three, and then it crapped itself, and then we got, Oh, those awful Mila Jovovich movies and just Resident Evil has become just a, a steaming hot garbage mountain joke. Well, when, when it becomes a joke, is that the point that it should stop? Like, now, personally, I'm not on the same page as most people are with this next thing. The Universal Monsters back in the 30s and 40s. Everyone was like, they're so scary, and they are. They said, when did they stop being scary? When they started meeting Abbott and Costello. Now, personally, I genuinely like all the Abbott and Costello meets whoever. I genuinely mm. like those. But you go to any hardcore horror fan, and they will say that's when the Universal Monsters died for them, is when Abbott and Costello mm. got involved. No, because, yes, the Abbott and Costello antics brought a, co a very big comical element to it, but the monsters were still horror. You'll notice, mm -hmm. while they might make, you know, there might be jokes at the expense of Dracula or Frankenstein or the Wolfman, they, the, those characters, did not become jokes. I think people are misremembering or they're they're too hardcore into it. I don't think the Abbott and Costello meets movies were where uni where the Universal Monsters died. I genuinely like those, but I'm a contrarian. I I thought those were really charming. Certainly better than any of the scary movie shit that we got later on. Oh, I love them because uh, I've even brought up the point that like what I've always said is that it didn't kill the monsters. The monsters were still cool. It it, it killed. It, it showed that the market for them was over. You know, the ringing bell. We've seen it time and time again for westerns and everything else. A natural part of the progression of our culture. I, I think we're always going to get to that point where if something if something isn't just one and done, it's it's going to eventually be parodied or made fun of or uh, there's going to be comedy. It, it's it's inescapable. It's in our nature. We do it with politics, do it with religion. We do it with uh, art. It's it's just part of us is all I'm trying to say. It's part of our nature. It'll never go away. I don't know if I can argue if it's good or bad. It is what it is. When uh, What do they say? Familiarity breeds contempt. When we become over-familiar with Freddy, Jason, Frankenstein, whatever, we're, we're always going to make fun of it. That's just never going to go away. Well, yeah. does it have something to do with... No, this sort of goes back to the whole cartoons thing. You, you know, you, you brought up, like, you know, Freddy and all that. When... How did Freddy... I mean, I get RoboCop, and I get Chuck Norris and Rambo. How did Freddy become a pop culture icon? This is a child murderer who's hinted, I'm leaving the remake out, hinted at being a child molester, is on t-shirts at the Gap, and there's action figures, and there's games on the Nintendo and all that. How did this character hit the pop culture zeitgeist to the point where he became pop culture? Robert Englund's charismatic performance and just the look of the character. He was very, very eye-catching. Would you say his persona was on fire? <laughs> sure, Dad. Hey! I would say it goes back to this idea of the lexicon. 
that now a character we, we've already covered that once something becomes ingrained, you know, people either make fun of it or they embrace it. I, I think that this is, this is a little trickier to explain, but the, the shorter version I can come up with is if you talk to any group that loves something, they have a shorthand and it almost feels like they're, they're talking their own language. If any of one of us went up to like say die hard anime fans, okay, they would start talking about shows and ideas and jokes that would probably be a bit more alien to us. And it, that would be the way people felt like Trekkies were an unbridgeable, no pun intended, group was difficult to talk to. And horror fans have suffered this probably more than any other group because not only are they in a group that loves something that people don't understand, they kind of look down upon. Horror has always been looked down upon. Always. I think that at one point it was more of a cultural embracing. Wearing Freddy Krueger was a way of saying, yeah, I'm not you. It, it became sort of this hip thing to say, like, yeah, I, it's like the, the joke about uh, I was into this before you got into this kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about? Mm. Before it became hip. But that's all that happened. It was an embracing of a culture at that time because nobody was wearing Freddy Krueger back then. They were wearing Pepsi or Cola, you know, Coca-Cola shirts. And then later on, it became wrestling shirts, became a big thing in the 90s. And it, it was more of a new cultural thing that was coming up. It was a way of people identifying with something. I'm wearing a pop singer or rock group on my shirt. I'm wearing a horror icon on my shirt. I'm wearing whatever. Mm. And it was just sort of a language of the time, but in fashion. Which is, that's for that, that's what I Which I'm is thinking. just so weird, because I, I vividly remember when I was a kid, Nightmare on Elm Street 4 had come out. So that'd be 1988. My mom worked at Pomida. And I remember she bought me for Christmas from Pomida a door-sized Freddy Krueger poster and a Freddy Krueger t-shirt from where she worked. Just the fact that mm. Pomida would carry these items is sort of mind-boggling, isn't it? There was money in them dare hills. Maybe. It just, I, I also, I, I can just imagine, because my mom's, you know, a, a religious woman, and she's, you know, not one of those people that really puts herself out there. Her having to buy these things was probably embarrassing for her. So, thanks, Mom. Okay, what about when a franchise goes on, even if it's a relatively obscure franchise like the one I'm going to bring up, when you just go, why are you doing this? You're just embarrassing everybody. You know, it's like the 80-year-old ex-cabaret dancer that says, I can still do it. And you go, no, just stop, stop. The the three of us, we all love Albert Pune's Nemesis movies. The four of them. Well, there's a fifth one coming out. Now, we haven't seen it yet. The trailers are beyond dreadful. It's shot on commercial-grade videotape with the onboard microphone straight out of the box after effects and acting that 80s porno actors would have said, you need to try harder. Why? Don't do this. Stop, Nemesis 5. Just stop. You're embarrassing everybody by being Nemesis 5. I mean, I honestly think the Nemesis 1 is probably the only one I really care about. 2, 3, and 4 are not bad, but yes, Nemesis 1 is easily the best one. It's easily the best. fine. 2 still feels like an Albert Pune action film, kind of. The other the other two I don't really care too much for. Five really does look like trash. But, I, I okay, whether it looks like trash, it's just the fact that why are you even doing this? First of all, who is calling for a fifth Nemesis movie, especially when most people don't realize there's more than one? So who's calling for a fifth one? And again, I'm going to go back to that arrogant stance I've always had. If you can't do it right, don't do it. If you do not have the money to make your space epic, don't do it. If you're just embarrassing everybody by doing it like this, I think. 
And Pune is not directing this one, but he is producing it, and he's okayed it, and that that hurts me. This, I, I mean, this this looks like God. Doug Walker has better production values than what's shown in this Nemesis Five trailer. God, did that hurt to <laughs> Dude, say? I was just gonna say that same thing. That is so weird. I was gonna say the Angry Video Game Nerd had better effects than his. Yeah, with Nemesis, I, I I'm with Patar on this. One. I only really like the first one because it's so ludicrously over the top. How can you not enjoy that movie? It's re- mm. it's it's insane. It's it's just there is no other movie that looks like Nemesis, and that film has been ripped off. I, I can't even come up with a word. It's been ripped off to the left and to the right. Mm-hmm. It, and no seriously. one no one will admit that they've ripped it off. Most people won't admit no, that they've seen it. No. You'll never hear the Wachowski brothers say, oh, we grew up with Nemesis. No, they, they, that movie is a, is a one of a kind. I didn't care for the sequels. As far as this new one, this is difficult because having talked with his wife a bit and, uh, and him, he, he's very ill. And he's, uh, he has a form of dementia and he's very sick. And I think you're just seeing a man that to keep working is giving him a reason to keep going and to fight and to go on. And therefore I don't really feel like attacking <laughs> what he's currently creating all that much. Well, honestly, okay. uh, I understand why the quality is no longer there and it, it just won't. Well, okay. Along the same token, now maybe a slightly higher production level, but look at like Phantasm five and you just go, wow, oh. this, Okay, not only does it not feel like a Phantasm movie, I don't mean just visually or anything. The story doesn't feel like a Phantasm movie. The characters just, they don't feel like the same characters. The production value is almost green screen it's horrible cgi i mean i I know again coscarelli didn't direct this one and i know the origins that it was meant to be a web series and all this but phantasm 5 hurt to watch i mean okay i was not a big fan of phantasms 3 or 4 but they felt like phantasm movies yeah, they felt connected to, to all They the even other ones. tonally or atmospherically fit. Five feels yeah. like a really, really bad fan film that somehow got the actors. This was more about how it was released than what was released. Coscarelli released this as a Phantasm Five movie. That was a mistake. It should have never happened that way. This was a, a fun project done on the side with the people. It wasn't even a fan film. It was just something they were doing. They were shooting for fun. Coscarelli's like, oh, we could take this all and make a movie out of it. And it's like, no, really, you, you couldn't. That's what they did. They cobbled it together, did some reshoots, added a little more money, and called it Phantasm Five. It really is a fan film. Genuinely is a fan film. And it mm-hmm. should have never been released as a legitimate... If they had released it and called it exactly what it is, I don't think anybody would have had a problem. I don't think mm-hmm. anybody, well, they would have still bitched. There's always going to be somebody bitching. It's the internet. But it, it would have had a much different appreciation, I think. Unfortunately, here's where a case, I, I, you know, Mr. Coscarelli, if you do happen to hear this, forgive me, but I do think greed got in the way. There have been some stories that Coscarelli was arguing with a studio about making a remake of Phantasm, which now I hear is going through. So I don't know what's going. It wasn't going through back then. Now it is going through. But that this might have been sort of a middle finger to a studio 
I don't know if that's true or not. It does seem like it's possible, but it should have never, ever been released as Phantasm V. It, it was no. a kind of a rotten thing to do. And, and I think it also screwed over the director of Phantasm V, who just made it to be something fun. I mean, he's the guy that kicked it all off in the first place. And everybody was just having a good time. And if they had released it as something they made for a good time, I think it would have been received a lot better. Well, okay, then then to end out tonight, what about, I mean, we've talked about this in various other franchises, but the the name recognition when it comes to a franchise, like, you know, the, the Hellraiser movies that aren't Hellraiser movies, you know, American Ninja 5, which was not an American Ninja movie at all. They just called it American Ninja 5 or things like this. What is the value? Doesn't it devalue a franchise when you're just slapping names on it? Like recently, and hopefully at some point on this show, we'll do a prophecy retrospective. My girlfriend and I just mm. recently watched all five prophecy movies and one, two, and three are actual, they're an actual franchise. And then four and five mm. are made 15 years after three. They're shot back to back in Bulgaria and it is so obvious these were not prophecy scripts that they just had a couple of references shoehorned in and this that these were not written as prophecy movies what value does this have of being prophecy four and five when first of all no one really gives a shit about the prophecy as a franchise but also wouldn't it have made more sense to be your own ip when you weren't prophecy movies like the Hellraiser sequels or anything like this. You know, you know, they've been trying to make a Videodrome quote remake slash sequel slash reboot by all accounts. Even the producer of it, the, of one of the scripts that never got made, he said this had nothing to do with Videodrome. They were just going to call it Videodrome because it dealt with media. I, I, I'm honestly asking you guys, what is the value in devaluing a franchise or a name like this. I don't know. I mean, I don't really see that much point in even caring about four and five as far as prophecy goes. I mean, the first prophecy was pretty cool. Two and three were all right. I think once, once Christopher Walken stepped, stepped away from that, that kind of lost its edge. I mean, it's the same thing with all those like Return of the Living Dead sequels. Like, you know, we had our first three. Those were fun. And then you had these like, early 2000s ones that came out that were pretty much just by name and just having the 245 trioxin kind of name dropped and in the film and we're supposed to expect that it's it's canonically a sequel and, and to me those don't feel like sequels to the uh, return of the living dead films from the from the 80s it's just kind of oh let's bring back this franchise that like 10% of the population knows about. It's just kind of pointless. There isn't really any value to it. And especially if you're not going to to take it seriously, which a lot of these like later sequels to very low budgeted films um are and unfortunately that's what Phantasm Ravager. I mean, it was originally meant to be sort of more of a, a fun fan film kind of thing, getting the cast back together and then releasing it as an official sequel was just definitely stupid. There isn't value to it. There just really isn't. More about the value at the bottom line. I know Josh gets mad at me because I tend to reduce some of these things to money, but they're a business. What they look at is, what did this one cost? What did it recoup? What did this cost? What did it recoup? And they do that with every film. And a lot of these producers are still on the same sliding ruler that they've always been. And it, it, it's so weird to me that in 2018, we're heading careening towards 2019 we're still using the same 
uh, sliding ruler and saying, hey, if we take this title of this popular franchise, we smack it on this, we shoot it for a million, and we're, we're bound to recoup five, hey, there's a $4 million profit in that for us, and that's it. There isn't any value to us. There isn't any value to the property. It's become this, this, uh, I, I'm trying to think of the word, uh, this gains and returns kind of thing. That's all it is. It's not about the story any longer. It, it, it stopped being up. Christopher Walken's story arc was done at part three. It was over. There, there was nowhere else to go. There's that elasticity. Story, done. Gabriel finds redemption. The story's over. Oh, no. What do we do now? Who cares? Can we make money? Let's do it. That's it. That's <laughs> all there is to it. I, I'm sorry to be cynical, but when it comes to sequels like this, there is no other reason. That's all they were doing. They were trying, when they made Cyborg 2, Cyborg 2 was in Cyborg 2. It was just a movie that had cyborgs. So they're like, we put Cyborg on it. We'll make money. That's it. That's all they care. It just so happened in that case, it was actually a pretty cool little movie. But in these cases, they were just looking at how much will it cost and how much can we make back. That's it. But at the same time, I, I can see that with a big hit movie or, I mean, like, you know, the first Prophecy movie was theatrical and was a big hit. Two and two and three were both big video hits. But then 15 years later to go, let's resurrect this franchise. D -d -d wouldn't it make more sense to be your own IP? Like, I'm thinking of obscure sequels that weren't sequels, like Extro 3, Watch the Skies. That was made as a movie just called Watch the Skies. There's literally no references or anything to do with the extra movies they're all new aliens i know more people who ignored extra three because oh they made a third one of these i actually think something like that would have probably done better if it had just been called watch the skies which is why i don't understand why you shoehorn these movies into franchises that are relatively obscure people don't really mm. care about some of these later non-sequels like who was going to go, oh my god, there's a fifth American Ninja movie? Yes! That movie would have done better being a not an American Ninja movie. And I think that's what I don't understand. It's you're hurting yourself to be an, your own IP at the same time as you're hurting the franchise. The latest Universal Soldier movie, the one from several years back, Regeneration, I think it was. If that was just released as Re Regeneration, it would have done better. Probably, because no one because cared. It has nothing to do with any of the other movies. Also, no one cared about Universal Soldier anymore. Exactly. What, what you're saying is inherently wrong. Now, keep in mind, not morally. All right, let's let's make that clear. I don't mean morally. I always want stories continued. I want care put into them. All right, so we're not arguing that at this point. We're just talking about why release something with that title. You said you actually said it. You said who's out there saying American Ninja Five? Yet, yeah, guess what? There were lots. And the simple fact of the matter is, is that today, to echo a sentiment that's made a lot in the streaming world that we have, movies are easier to make, they're easier to distribute, and it's harder to get people to watch them. Mm. The simple fact of the matter is, is if you make a movie, like you said, about angels and demons, and you called it something else, you know, Rise of the Antichrist, or whatever, you know, for this prophecy, whatever you want to call it, the simple fact of the matter is, no, they won't make as much money as the prophecy. And I'll tell you why. You yourself proved the theory that I'm stating because you said, there's a four and five. Well, I guess I have to see them. There you go. It makes money because people go, oh, they made another one? I guess I should check it out. They're already getting more hits off of just the title than anything to do with the story. These were 
really, I'll bet you the budget is so low on these, we would probably begin laughing if we knew what they were. They were shot back to back. We know that. In Romania. In Romania. So there you go. You know, you know, Charlie Band's been shooting there for decades. The only recognizable uh, stars are Kari Wurrer, who's not a big name, and Tony Todd shows up in five for about 20 minutes. Well, and... Sh- and Sean Pertwee was in the first one, but he wasn't really a name at the time that they Doug played. Bradley was as well, but again, he's only in a few minutes. Yeah, so it, it was just a matter of shooting it as cheap as possible and then saying, if we slap the prophecy name on this, we'll make our money back. That's it. All that's about. And guess what? It works. They wouldn't keep doing it, Josh, if it didn't work. I guess that's our fault then. It is. <laughs> It always has been. No, no, no. Okay, I'm going to say it's your fault, the listeners. I am exempt from from blame here. It's your fault because I'm an arrogant jerk. All right, uh, on that note, then the, the final thought is, should many of these things even be franchises? You know, at, at some point, shouldn't you... Like I was saying about, like, Watch the Skies and all that. Yes, I understand Fred's point of view, but when when you're creating a franchise, like when you have just a, a standalone IP, and then you go, let's make a sequel, I think you should ask yourself, does it need a sequel? The answer is no, then don't f***ing do it. That's my final thought. Yeah, pretty much. My final thought is, okay, you think uh, Fulci and Zombie... Subtle? Did you actually say subtle with those earlier? Yes, what? in the way that it's shot. Subtle? Yeah. Subtle. You're telling me that the soft focus, the music, the atmosphere isn't subtle? The gore definitely isn't. The ending the of The Beyond shot, is yeah. gorgeous. That's all I mean. Like, obviously the gore is not subtle whatsoever, but yeah, the shot subtle. composition, the way it looks, the lighting, the music, it, it is, it does have a subtle beauty to it. At least Fulci's earlier works definitely do. Okay, that's all I have. That's it. Yeah, no, fine. I'm good. Just calling a Fulci film subtle in the outright is like, huh? <laughs> not the word I'd use. <laughs> okay, well, well, where can we find Fred if we need to uh, find him, I guess? Man, standing next to Waldo? Um, nowhere right now. Okay, well, where can we find Peter looking for Waldo? To find me, um, yeah, sure. Looking for Waldo on, on Twitter, at Cinematica, on YouTube, The Cinemasochist, on, on Facebook, same thing, also The Cinemasochist, on 1201beyond.com with many other fine shows and products, and on Patreon slash Cinematica where you can, you can dump money into my bank account and please, Please do. I ever so need it. Same here. We have a Patreon as well. The 1201 Beyond Patreon. It helps. Keeps the light on. I would really like to do more retrospectives on this show, but I need money for that because these things take a ton of time and I have to buy DVDs. So if you want retrospectives on weird franchises, help with donate with the Patreon and then you get to choose what weird franchise we look at. You can also contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. As Peter said, 1201beyond.com. Try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
See, I'm a popular guy. If you don't know yet, you're gonna find out why. Man, Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.